In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. So, God willing, today we're going to conclude um, this topic of the um, Coptic Church history. Um, a lot of the themes that we've been talking about throughout are kind of repeated again and again um, in subsequent generations. The idea of the severe persecution, um, the idea of having to, the, the Coptic Christians having to pay the gizya, which is the taxes, um, because they were Christian, um, being treated um, as second-class citizens, the destruction of churches, um, all of these things um, that we discuss kind of continue to happen. So I'm not going to go into detail about like all the specific events that have happened. Um, there is, starting in the year 751 AD, there was a, a new dynasty called the Abbasid dynasty. Um, if you remember, these dynasties are um, uh, kind of like the families of the caliph. The caliph is the leader of the entire Islamic empire. So here, this is the state of the Islamic empire during this time, and you can see that Egypt is part of that, okay? And so each of these countries, each of these provinces would have a governor um, that would report to the caliph, okay? And so now there is a new dynasty um, who is in control of the Islamic empire, um, and this uh, name was given to the caliph in Baghdad, so this is where he was based. Um, when it started, it started with good relations with the Copts, but the biggest problem was the, the, the greediness of the wali. The wali is the governor. So the, the governor who would be appointed in Egypt was focused so much on collecting money for himself, and in order to maintain a good reputation um, and, and preserve his job, he would feel compelled to send a lot of money and taxes to the caliph. So the greediness um, of the wali would cause e even more um, persecution. There were 46 walis who governed Egypt during this dynasty, uh, 24 of them during the reign of Harun al-Rashid, um, who was the caliph for 23 years. The caliph feared the separation of Egypt if any wali stayed for a long time and succeeded to attract the people. So they were afraid of a, 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 of a, a rebellion. They were afraid of if uh, there was a governor who stayed for a long time in Egypt and he was popular among the people, that he would essentially um, separate himself, secede from, secede from the, the, the rest of the empire. And so there was always uh, high turnover um, for the governors so they didn't stay in power for too long. Prince Ibrahim sent Lazarus, an historian, with some men to Egypt with orders to collect the columns and marble from the churches to decorate the palaces of the caliph and princes. So remember, we said that um, from an engineering perspective, Egypt was very advanced, and so they had very um, ornate buildings um, and structures and, and making building the churches using columns, and so they were well known for this, and so they would always, um, the Arabs wanted to take the columns from the churches and use it to build their own structures. And so here, um, again, they were wanting to take the columns from the churches. They marveled at the church of St. Mina and Mariut and its ornaments and the beauty of its columns and colored marble. They destroyed the church and took its marble and columns. Another, uh, you know, another ongoing situation, um, which we touched on before, was the deterioration of the Coptic language. Coptic was the official language at government offices until the Arab invasion happened. After the invasion, the Arabs used translators um, because remember the, the Egyptian people spoke Coptic and the Arabs, they spoke Arabic. Uh, many Coptic words were mingled with Arabic due to the slave Coptic women serving at the houses of the Arabs. 
these words are still used until now in Arabic, um, and the Arabic language became the official one. So even of the, the common Arabic language that people will speak today, there are, are many words that are kind of inter intertwined with different Coptic words because the Coptic and the Arabic kind of intermingled together um, and had an effect, the Coptic had an effect on the Arabic. The Copts learned Arabic to keep their government jobs because you know everything now had to be Arabic, so they couldn't speak Coptic anymore, so they had to learn Arabic. The Coptic names of the cities were changed into Arabic, so they, they no longer kept the names of the cities as they were, but they um, had to change them to Arabic. Coptic books were ordered translated into Arabic so that they could review their contents. Arabic became the language of politics, administration, culture, and religion, while Coptic still used in villages at least for the four centuries after the invasion. So Upper Egypt, which is the southern part of Egypt, which was like a poor part of Egypt, they kind of were always, uh, you know, they maintain more of the original Coptic um, rather than the north, which is where most of the administration was and most of the effect was um, of, of the persecution. Not to say that there wasn't persecution in the south, but they were able to preserve the Coptic language longer than in the north. Um, Khalif al-Hakim Allah issued a decree to stop using Coptic even in houses and public places and to cut the tongues of those who refused to speak the Arabic language. So even personally, in your own home, you were forbidden from speaking Coptic. Coptic in churches shouldn't be heard outside, otherwise the church would be destroyed, meaning if the church is praying in Coptic, um, they, they shouldn't pray so loud so that the Coptic would be heard outside of the church building or else they would destroy the church. Um, Pope Gabriel Ibn Tariq in the 12th century ordered to read the scriptures in churches in Coptic and then Arabic. So it was um, kind of, which, which is what's done today, right? So in an in in Arabic-speaking church, um, uh, many churches, they will read the readings in Coptic and then they would read them um, in Arabic. The next dynasty, starting from 868 e, uh, A.D., the Tulunid and Ikshidid dynasties, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, um, you can see now um, there ended up becoming a separation from Egypt from the Islamic Empire. So it was no longer under the caliph anymore. Okay? Founded by Ahmed ibn Tulun, a Turkish officer who triumphed over the Abbasids' wali, and added Palestine and Syria to Egypt under his autonomy. So he came and he attacked the, the, the governor of Egypt under the Abbasid dynasty, and he conquered Egypt for himself. So Egypt became, at this point in time, like a separate country, separate province, not part of the, um, the, the Islamic empire. Egypt became an independent state governed by a Muslim ruler after it was ruled by 108 walis over 229 years. Once the tax uh, income no longer had to go to the caliph in Baghdad, it was possible to develop irrigation works and build a navy, which greatly stimulated the local economy and trade. Ahmed ibn Tulun, he is the, the one who became the ruler of Egypt um, under this, in this time. Muslim historians imply that Ahmed was a virtuous person who loved charity. They also agree that he was very quick in using the sword. During the 16 years of his reign, he killed directly and indirectly 18,000 people. Ahmed acquired an army that would be independent of the caliph and loyal to him. To build such an army, Ahmed purchased Mamluks, who would, could be trained as military units loyal to their owner. Mamluks were kind of like mercenaries for hire, so um, he, would, he would hire them 
um, and they would become like a militia military under him. The source of a huge surplus of 10 million denarii he left in the state treasury at his death in 884 in, in a very short time, besides the numerous buildings, is questionable. People question how did he get all of that money, the 10 million dinar that he had. He built his great mosque. Again, every ruler of Egypt had to build a mosque for themselves as the norm of every new ruler, spending large sums of money. Some Muslims refused to pray in it, doubting the source of the money. So some people said that wherever the source of this money was that was used to build it, they don't know what it was, and so they doubted it, and so they refused to pray in it. Stanley Landpool, an English historian, he said, it is almost certain that Ahmed ibn Tulun had levied huge amounts of money on the Coptic patriarchs, especially the uh, Pope Shnuda I, who was the 55th um, patriarch. Um, Khamrawai, I'm not sure that's how you pronounce it either, um, he was Ahmed ibn Tulun's son and the successor, the ruler of Egypt after him. He was able to maintain the Egyptian armies in the field, leading them to victory both in Syria and Mesopotamia. He resolved the conflict with the caliph by arms and diplomacy, and he treated the Copts nicely. The country's apparent strength evaporated when he was murdered in 896, leaving no funds to pay the troops. The entire country fell into anarchy, which lasted until 905, when the caliph's army invaded Egypt and momentarily restored it to the status of a province ruled by governors sent from Baghdad. So after he died, it, 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 like it went back, Egypt went back again to being under the caliph, the Islamic empire as before. The Ikshidid dynasty. For 30 years, the governors were unable to restore stability in Egypt until this dynasty, which started in 935 AD. It was a period of extreme poverty in Egypt's history and the Copts suffered the most. In general, it was a period of good relations between the Copts and the Arabs, although whenever the Byzantines won a battle against the Arabs in the east, the Arabs would attack the Copts, destroying many churches and monasteries. This is an ongoing theme. The theme is that the Arabs in Egypt, they believe that the Copts, because they are Christians, are somehow responsible for the actions of all Christians in the world. Okay, So on a completely unrelated, okay, when you have like the war between the Byzantine church and the, and, the, and the Arabs, okay, which has nothing to do with Egypt in any way, whenever the Byzantine Christians would uh, defeat the Arabs in a battle or in something, um, the, the, the Arabs in Egypt, they would blame the cops for it. And this is true even today, even today. Whenever there is some kind of conflict, some Christians somewhere that are doing something against the, the Arabs, um, the cops would suffer because of it, because of persecution, because they consider that because they are Christians, they are all kind of one. And so whatever, would, whatever was happening outside of Egypt would then result in more persecution inside of Egypt. On many occasions, the government would quickly calm the crowds and bring peace and order to the streets. Finally, I want to mention um, just one person, and then, then we're, um, we're done. This man, his name is Saib ibn Qatib al-Faraghani, okay? And I personally, like out of all of the story of history, I, I, I admire this person so much um, because he was like an engineer, an architect, um, and, and what did he do, okay? So he designed the Nile gauge at Rhoda, okay? Um, and an irrigation system of water reservoirs connected by channels to provide water during the days of Ahmed ibn Tulun. So he was a very clever, very, very ingenious about what is it that he was able to do for the good of Egypt itself. 
So as um, Ahmed ibn Tulun, okay, was coming to inf inspect the reservoirs that um, that he made, his horse tripped on some dirt that was left over by the construction workers who were making the reservoir. Uh, and so he ordered to scourge Said 500 times and put him in jail. Like instead of coming to him and thanking him for the work that he did, he considered that somehow this was done intentionally to mock him because he fell off of his horse. Um, and, and so, and, and so he, he chose to, uh, to, to torture this architect, um, Said. While he was in jail, Said, he heard that Ahmed, the ruler, had decided to build his grand mosque with 300 columns. So if you remember from before, whenever the governor would want to build a grand mosque, he needed columns, okay? And where would you get the columns? You get the columns from the churches. So the more grand the mosque is, the bigger that it is, the more churches have to be destroyed in order to get the columns in order to build it. And this was the, the trend. This was every governor would do the same thing. So this man, who was an architect, he knew something about building. Okay. So Said was concerned that like other grand mosques, Ahmed would get the needed columns to build the mosque from the Coptic churches. So he made a model for a mosque that would only need two columns. Ahmed was amazed and gave him 100,000 denarii to start building. So this idea of starting to build without columns uh, is new. Nobody had thought of how do you build without columns before. And he, he thought of this for reasons of wanting to protect the church because he didn't want the churches to be des destroyed. The engineer, he built it in two years and he asked for his reward, and Ahmed granted him 10,000 dinari. So this is an example of a mosque that was built without columns. He invented a method of building using pointed arches without columns. And actually, in history, okay, this type of architecture is known as Gothic architecture. Okay? And it is attributed to having been invented in Europe 200 years after this time. So if you read in the history, it says that this Gothic architecture was actually started to be in use 200 years after this time in Europe, but, to, but actually it started even earlier here in Egypt because he wanted to find a way to build uh, mosques without having to destroy churches. Um, and so he's actually the one who invented it. Some historical sources say that Ahmed asked Said to convert to Islam, and when Said refused, Ahmed ordered to behead him, and he was martyred on the 7th of Kiyak, and his um, relics are kept in the church at St. Kulta. Positive influence, okay, during this time period. Well, we spoke about how um, the Byzantium yoke, which is the, the Chalcedonian churches, remember if we said that when there was a split in the church, into the Chalcedonian and non-Chalcedonian camps. The Chalcedonians were the ones who um, uh, were persecuting the, the, the non-Chalcedonians, which is us, because they believed that we were believing in heresy. And so there became this um, uh, two different parallel patriarchs in Egypt. 
There became what is the Church of Alexandria, which is the Coptic churches, which is us. We have our own popes. And then there was assigned to Egypt another pope, which was a representative of the Chalcedonian churches that was persecuting the Coptic church. Okay, so under this period, under the Arab rule, that stopped, okay, because the, the Byzantium church no longer had inf any influence on Egypt, okay. Um, so it, it, the, the church was given, again, the right to choose their own leaders. They were not trying to submit to a patriarch that was chosen by uh, Byzantine. There was the restoration of many church buildings and repairing the things that had been destroyed under that time, and there was a good relation between some of the rulers and the popes. Okay? But there was a lot of negative influence as well. Okay? There was the changing of the social structure, the invasion of, um, of the Arabs, of course, completely changed the nation, changed the, the seats of power, changed who is going to be responsible and in charge, changed the relationship between the church and the government. Each ruler was never concerned about public wel welfare or future resources growth. All they cared about was to enrich themselves. They cared about is to collect the taxes and to send the taxes to the caliph. There was injustice, destruction, persecution. We see that all throughout this period of history. And there were times where the Gizia tax that was imposed upon the, the Christians uh, increased dramatically during times where they wanted to collect uh, more money. Or during the times where there were people who were converting to Islam, which reduced the amount of Gizia um, because the Gizia was paid only by those who were Christian. So when that began to happen, they had to increase the Gizia on the Christians in order to compensate. We also saw the deterioration of the Coptic language um, that was no longer allowed to be spoken, um, even in the personal houses. And we spoke also about the burning of the Library of Alexandria, which was a very famous library that had uh, mon documents and manuscripts from all over the world, things that there was no other copies of. Like the, when those things were lost, they were lost forever. And we have no access to them even today. So um, I'm going to stop here. Um, of course, there's so much more history. There's so many more details. And of course, we've only covered like the first thousand years um, of, of history. Um, but I wanted to just give you a flavor for the kinds of uh, persecutions and burdens that the Coptic Church experienced throughout her history, um, which kind of helps shape the church and can give us some insight as to um, how the church came to be and, and kind of how much we should be thankful for those people who came before us to preserve the faith even in during times of persecution and how we can take that same principle moving forward and to be resilient in our faith and to stand up against social persecution that we experience here in the West. Does anyone have any final questions or comments? Okay. Just as a reference, um, here are some references. I'll just put them on the screen. Um, that um, were used in, in the preparing of this presentation. So um, there's a lot of information that you can find in many different books. Okay, and glory be to God forever. Amen. Um, let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O Lord, for this day and for every opportunity that you give us to learn more about your church. Help us, O Lord, to be faithful and to preserve the faith in every way that we can and to remain strong against all kinds of social persecution that we might experience. Teach us, O God, to be thankful for 
all the things you have given us and to be proud of the faith that you have given us and to remain strong, O Lord, and to endure all kinds of attacks. And we believe, O Lord, that you, you stand with us, O God, and give us the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions, and you will not allow the devil, O Lord, to overcome the church. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The love of God the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, and the communion of the gift of the Holy Spirit. Go in peace. The peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen.